Hello, this is Jeff Powell, Managing Partner of Polaris Wealth Advisory Group. Today, Jeremy Whitbeck, our normal host, is actually traveling for business. So I am reversing roles to what I normally do, where I am actually being interviewed, and I'll be your host today. And with me is Matt Erickson, Senior Portfolio Manager for Polaris Wealth. Uh, good morning. Uh, how are you today, Matt? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Great. Um, well, we've had a kind of a wild ride over the last couple of days, and I think that our our, uh, our listeners are going to actually be very uh, interested to kind of hear from both of us about our thoughts in the markets. Uh, as we speak right now, on September 22nd, we've got a market that's up pretty substantially uh, after seeing a couple of days of pullback. So maybe, Matt, if you can for us, uh, let's just start talking a little bit about some of the influences. Why why has the market been pulling back? Man, I think there's a lot of different reasons there, uh, at least why it could be pulling back. You know, certainly we've, we've had a lot of conversations more recently about the debt ceiling, about tapering and when the Fed should start that. You know, there are those out there concerned about inflation, the debate about whether it's transitory. Um, but more than anything, I mean, it, this has been a very long time since we've even had uh, a very simple 5% pullback. Uh, so I, I think there's a, a kind of a confluence of factors that kind of lead into this. Uh, but I also think part of this is driven by just the narrative that you pick up when you, you know, pick up the Wall Street Journal or, you know, click on CNBC or, or, or Bloomberg. I mean, you know, there, there's a whole lot to be said for the narrative driving things here. And so I, I think at this point, this is a, a healthy pullback that we've had. Uh, and I also think it's, it's also somewhat of a, a natural rotation. I mean, we've seen over the past, if you were looking at the broad market, you know, certainly we've seen the S&P 500 continue to tick higher here. I mean, maybe it was a week ago, we were, we were just touching on all time highs, then we had a pullback. Um, but, but the reality is uh, that was really driven by just a few stocks, kind of like we saw for a few years there. And then, you know, the past, oh, let me stop myself just for a second. We went a, a good period of time, you know, fourth quarter of last year, first quarter of this year, and even into the second quarter of this year, where those large stocks, the Fab Five, as you and I like to talk about them, you know, your, your Facebooks, your Apples, your Amazons, they weren't really participating with the market. For a long time, they've been the drivers of the market. We saw a really big rotation into a cyclical value which is healthy and pretty typical coming out of a recessionary bottom. Uh, and then we saw that completely flip-flop the other way for about the past three months. And that divergence got really extreme. Now, more recently, we've seen both go down. Um, but you know, today, for what it's worth, and it's very early, we're seeing a little bit of a rotation back into that cyclical value. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch here. Well, you, you brought up a couple things here, Matt, uh, that I think that are worth maybe defining a little bit. Uh, you brought up uh, things like debt ceiling and uh, a few other things uh, along the way. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, the, the sentiment is really, I think, kind of what you're driving out is that this market has been looking for an excuse. Um, and, and as we've written also, I mean, markets tend to have four or 5%, uh, and I mean, four different times having a 5% pullback uh, in the market. So A, I'm taking it as what you're saying is this is normal, uh, but you kind of hit on a little bit of, of uh, the influence of what was happening, what, uh, what's hitting the market, what's 
at least what's causing the sentiment to kind of uh, fly to safety a little bit here. But with something like the debt ceiling, first of all, what does that mean? And then second of all, you know, why is it influencing? Why is it having an impact on the market? So I, I don't know how many people saw this, but over the weekend, uh, Janet Yellen, uh, our, our, our Secretary of Treasury for the United States and former Fed Chair, uh, wrote an op-ed piece that was published in the Wall Street Journal talking about the debt ceiling, right? How much debt we can essentially take on the government balance sheet. And, you know, there, there's a limit to that. And right now, and, and it gets, it tends to be pretty hotly contested. It tends to be a, a pretty big uh, debate in Washington when that happens. Uh, and we've continued over the years just to continue to raise the debt ceiling and go further in debt, right? Uh, I won't pretend to be, you know, a, a, an economic guru when it comes to this stuff, but the gist is, you know, if you don't raise that, you're really limiting the amount of stimulus that that we can inject in the economy to keep things going here. And Yellen actually came out in her op-ed and said this weekend, look, if we don't raise the debt ceiling here, we could be facing an economic catastrophe. Now, certainly I think that's a little sensationalized. I think she's gonna say things like that to try and get attention. And obviously putting an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal is very much gonna get that attention, but it's probably deservedly so at this point. Although right now, I would say I haven't really, I always have CNBC on in the background all day long when I'm working, and I haven't really heard it addressed too much. So I think that's a little bit more of a back page story here. Uh, and I think right now, I mean, particularly with the Fed meeting yesterday and today, and we'll hear a little bit more commentary out of them this afternoon, you know, I think the markets are, are looking probably more at the, the taper conversation at, at this point and the debate on when they're gonna start to taper. I mean, right now, uh, the government's paying, you know, purchasing 120 billion of our own debt on a monthly basis. I believe that's uh, 80 billion in treasuries and 40, 40 billion in mortgage-backed securities. You know, and they're doing that to, to keep rates low, again, to stimulate growth in the economy. Now, we all know they can't do that forever. So, you know, the talk of taper is essentially just saying, hey, we're gonna be reducing the amount that we're buying. And that's naturally should let rates float up a little bit more in our economy. Um, so, I, I mean, I think, like I said, it's a confluence of factors. To me, it's, the debt ceiling is a little bit more of a backstory thing for me, back page story right now that may make its, its way to the front. Um, but I think right now it's more the tapering. And then of course you've, you've heard ongoing conversations about inflation, whether it's transitory, um, certainly in, in a number of sectors of the market, supply chain disruptions are, are a significant issue. Uh, we've seen that hurt the automotive companies. Um, we've seen that hurt the retailers to a large degree this quarter. And that came up on earnings calls um, because a lot of, uh, I guess a lot of the clothing that, that we bring in here into the United States actually manufactured in places like Vietnam. And with COVID resurging, which is again, another factor that's been a concern here, you've had a number of these retailers unable to, to get, you know, the, the clothes and everything else. I mean, there's even talk of, you know, when we head into holiday season here, that a lot of the toy makers aren't gonna be able to meet the demand uh, for this season's hot toys. So I, again, and I know I'm rambling here, that there's, I think there's just a number of different things going on out there. Plus there's just the natural, it's been a long time since we've even had a 5% pullback. And I know you wrote about it uh, as well. I mean, one, those are normal and healthy. Uh, and, and two, I mean, what, what is it? Something like, I think once a year we get a pullback on average and, and I might botch the number here, but it's something like 14% 
Is, is that what it is? I mean, the average year is a pullback of at least that. You know, yeah, we haven't even had a 5% up until this point. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, uh, and the, the number is, for, it's over a 14% inter-year decline. Uh, and what you see is, again, historically, you'll, you'll have four different instances in which you've got a 5% correction. One of those 5% corrections, typically, in a typical year, will turn into something bigger. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I try to always remind our clients is that we're not trying to miss uh, the 5% moves uh, in the market. The, that's just a, a loser's game in which you get whipsawed because you're never going to know the absolute top uh, of the market. And then from there, once the market has already kind of pulled back one, two, three percent, you're lucky that you start to see the signs that say, okay, well, maybe this is just going to turn into something that's going to be more of like a 5%. By the time you're even looking at that, the market's already pulled back enough that if you start reacting and, and getting out of your investments, all of a sudden, now the market's bouncing like it is today. Uh, yeah. And then you've basically sold out at exactly the wrong time. What we're really always looking for is is really something that's a lot more fundamental and shift of you know what's going on from an economic standpoint, what's going on from there. Now, the markets over the last three, four years have turned a whole lot more sentiment driven. I mean, 2018 was all sentiment driven. It was people's fear that we would hit a, a recession, not that one was really actually happening. And so, you know, the one thing that I try to remind people in all of this is that, you know, I don't know, I always love the phrase, the market's going to be irrational longer than you can be solvent. Uh, so to me, that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at within this is people are looking for an excuse, be it uh, what's going on in China right now, be it a tapering conversation, being a debt ceiling, uh, be it whatever they, you know, whatever today's, uh, you know, headline is, is really what might potentially drive that. To me personally, I mean, what's going on in China is certainly, um, it's eye-opening. It's uh, enough to make me want to understand how that influences uh, some of our investments here in the, in the States. Like, you know, the whole fact that China is cracking down on uh, the strangest things. I mean, the cracking down on uh, tutoring of students in their, uh, in their country and not allowing for there to be publicly traded uh, online education anymore uh, for yeah. them to sit there and limit gaming online. I mean, like if you're a kid in China, you're not happy. One hour on Friday, one hour on Saturday, one hour on Sunday, if there's a national holiday, you get to be on from eight to 9 p.m. all those days, and that's it. Nothing well, else that you can do. With the, the regulatory actions they're looking to take in Macau, with the casinos. I mean, the gambling, as much as it may be somewhat taboo for certain individuals, I mean, that represents 55% of Macau's GDP. And yet China's willing to come in and say, hey, this is making too much money. We need to limit this. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. I, I don't think those of us in the US, obviously in a capitalistic society, we really can't relate to those actions. But what we've seen, to your point, uh, out of you know China and, and the administration there, and the, I mean, the things they've been enacting, I mean, they're just they're somewhat mind blowing. I mean, I, I just can't fathom a lot of them, and you've seen that in some of the stock prices. I mean, to your point, that that educational company, uh, EDU, is the, the ticker symbol, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. I mean, that thing fell off a cliff. But even the big companies like 
Baidu and Alibaba that a lot of people are familiar with, those things have gotten crushed. I mean, it's just been, it's been a minefield out there, particularly with anything that's China related. I think a lot of the, the concern there is uh, we are, as much as China is acting irrational, what you are dealing with is the second largest economy in the world. And so when you've got uh, this country acting in ways that are hard to predict, uh, it becomes a lot more of an issue. And, you know, obviously in a case like New Oriental Education, which we had owned in our uh, our global growth strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a stock that was a $20 stock at the beginning of the year that's trading at $2 a share and may, you know, it has traded below that. Uh, you're right. I mean, we've seen massive fall-offs with things. Uh, I mean, and if you look at the ETF that covers large cap in China, the FXI, that yep. thing's off almost 20% for the year. So yep. we've seen China uh, fall off a cliff. And now, obviously, we have a beautiful thing uh, called Evergrande, uh, the real estate group in, in China, which everybody is fearful might default. They're trying to compare it to you know, your Lehman's and the financial crisis that occurred in the U.S. in 2008. And there's really not the comparison. And uh, really, most people, and in fact, the uh, IMF, the International Monetary Fund, came out and uh, basically said that they thought that China not only had the, the money, but also had uh, the policies in place to not allow for a, uh, a, a fall uh, of uh, that kind of substance to, to occur there. So that's kind of uh, led a little bit of, of what was going on today with the markets and, and really kind of the last couple of days is is the uncertainty. And again, as you said, I think that really the sentiment uh, driving this is people looking for an excuse of why something may be occurring. And, you know, they're just looking for an excuse to get out. So if we are having our our, um, our clients listening to us today, kind of this back and forth that you and I have going, you know, what would your advice be to a client? I mean, should they be concerned with this? How should they be reacting to this? Uh, if you were uh, standing in front of an audience here, uh, Matt, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, a lot of things that I would honestly be inclined to say, uh, but I think number one is is let us do our jobs. I mean, if you look at the history, and, and obviously, Jeff, I, I merged my firm in, into yours, and, and I think very highly of, of the way you do things, and, and obviously, you and I have a lot of commonality, and one thing that regardless of whether it's been you know you kind of capping the ship on, on the portfolios you've run for years or some of the ones that I've run for years I mean we may take a little bit of a different approach but the one thing that's universal is if you look at all of our strategies and the history of preservation during declines I mean that's where we make our money right and to your point we're not going to capture we're, we're not going to avoid every five percent decline but you look at you know our strategies for example in in 2020 which you know, for anyone listening into this podcast right now was the most extreme market any of us have, have ever seen. And yet you get into March and you know, we've got some of our benchmarks down, you know, 17, you know, as much as even 20%. And we're down half that, right? And, and, and that's where you can really make a difference for clients. One, it's that, that smoother ride, of course, um, but it also allows you to not have to be as aggressive on the upside. And I think that's how you win long-term. And that's that's how people stay invested. So, I mean, my my number one message would be to convey that, you know, let us do our jobs here. You know, certainly we've caught on the chin on, on a couple names, 
Um, and, and that's gonna happen. You know, not everything we pick is, is gonna do great. Uh, but secondarily, the, the other thing I would, I would point out is, you know, a lot of people tune into the CNBCs of the world or, or pick up the Wall Street Journal or whatever and think that they're on top of what's happening in the market. And I would just tell you that probably more so than any other time for me in the past 20 years, what you're seeing as far as price action out of like the S&P 500 is not really indicative to what's been going on in the markets. You know, one thing that we track on the investment team is, looking at any number of different factors, right? Like high beta stocks, low volatility, things like that. We track divergences between growth and value. But one thing we track that I think is really interesting in this case is like the equal weight S&P 500 versus, you know, just the regular capitalization weight S&P 500. Uh, and I mean, if you need me to go in to explain that, I can. But, but the gist is the equal weight really hasn't been showing breadth to this rally. And you see that as you move down further uh, in capitalization. I mean, you look at small cap stocks and the small cap indices, and they haven't done anything in, in six months. And quite frankly, the, the areas of the market that had been leading uh, throughout the first two quarters of this year, those are the big laggards. And while you might see an S&P 500 that's only down a few percent, a lot of what had been the leading areas of the market have actually corrected. I mean, you're seeing a number of these sectors actually down 10 to 20%. So I personally think that the natural course of things as we move forward is this market, you know, you know, finds some reassurance, finds a bottom. And I think we're very naturally gonna see a rotation take place here into some of those things that have been laggards that have already corrected. And those things that have provided leadership, uh, I think they're very likely to, to lag for a little while here. And I really think we're on the precipice of that now. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, the correct messaging is, is I see it as well. I mean, you know, the, the big thing is you've hired us for a reason. Um, we are tactical. Uh, we're not going to be extreme, though. You know, we have, uh, as you already kind of hit on, we have a ideology. Uh, we have strategies that are uh, going to remain fully invested at times. We have strategies that will go significantly to cash. Um, if you're really concerned about what's going on in the market, make sure that your allocation is correct. And that means having a little bit of all the above. Uh, the, the strategies that will go to cash will probably have better downside protection in the, in the March of 2020 type of situations. But the, uh, the fully invested strategies are also able to get very defensive by going from higher risk stocks uh, into lower risk stocks. And those uh, particular strategies will have a much greater balance when the markets do start to recover. So having growth investments, having our global to get some international in there, it all makes sense. I mean, and it's things that we really need to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be times that uh, certain strategies are outperforming others. And um, I would highly recommend to, uh, if you're really, really, really concerned about the markets, is to revisit your allocation. But not to take things into your own hands and go to cash, uh, as you said. Let us let us do our job. Well, I think the other point to that, I'll just segue into a little bit, is the planning side of things. You know, I, you and I talked about this early on in the year when we had some strategies already up 20, 30 percent for the year, and we, I mean, it hadn't even, I mean, we were we weren't even done with spring yet. You know, and, and you know, you got people that if they look at their financial plan and their goals and their objectives, you know, they're they're looking for, hey, I need to have an average of a 6% rate of return 
and then and then you get certain people you know getting a little bit more fearful when when you see a five percent pullback and that's where i just think it's important to put all these things into context into what your goals and objectives are to your investments and make sure you're in the right things you know and recognize that you know the things obviously that are more aggressive that are going to be more invested they're going to have a little bit more volatility and some of those other things you know they're going to have less if anything this might highlight for people you know to kind of reassess their their overall outlook but as you and i've talked about before you know people tend to have a recency bias and if you look at the past 18 months the markets have really been amazing and and so a five percent pullback hurts a lot more because we're just not used to it anymore um, but again I, I think it all comes back to what are your goals and objectives I, are we achieving them for you and i think you know in large part we've we've done a great job with those things um, and I, I think it's all just about how you frame it, put it in the right context. Well, I would say the other thing that kind of throws me off out of this is, you know, if you're going to go 100% cash, you're either going to be 100% correct or completely wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's one of the things that we try to talk with, with our uh, service team and with our sales team uh, is to really kind of, again, talk it out with the client and make sure that they understand exactly what it is that we're bringing to the table. You know, as a, uh, and uh, you know, being in the investment world as long as you and I both have been, it's almost impossible uh, to you know be right and be right at the right time. And it's one of the reasons why I was going to use the coin phrase: I'd rather be partially correct than completely wrong. And why yeah. we do things in increments is because you're not sure. You know, we you know a couple of days ago, uh, the markets looked like they were really falling off and. We had a very strange day yesterday. Today, it's like you know, like Monday and uh, and Tuesday never happened. Everybody's getting in, they're buying into the markets, and the areas that were getting the the uh, the most hammered and Monday Tuesday are the ones that are up the most, uh, as you kind of hit hit on. And obviously, looking at things like energy and financials and materials and industrials, uh, even areas of consumer discretionary that were getting beaten up. Yeah. And to your point. You know, there there still is going to be uh, uncertainty. We're dealing with a worldwide pandemic. There's going to be uh, continued disruption as we continue to see this go on. Cost of goods is continuing to go up because of some of this job disruption. We're also things, seeing things, massive anomalies like seeing you know, shipping costs go up. So if you've got oh, just yeah. a basic, simple, you know, less expensive toy that's being manufactured and Vietnam or in China or wherever, it's costing a thousand percent more to be shipped to the West Coast of the United States before it even gets to, you know, anywhere else spread in the United States from there. Yeah. Shanghai to China, uh, Shanghai, China to LA has gone from a thousand dollars for a container to be shipped to thirteen thousand dollars. It's a thirteen hundred percent increase. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I saw similar the uh, you know the cost of the goods that are actually coming from those locations to uh, to the United States. So there's a lot of of uncertainty. There's a lot of moving pieces that I don't think a lot of people get. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the markets have to fall as a result of that. Right. I mean, the markets are forward looking. You know, they're looking beyond that. You know, forward into the recovery. You know, I don't think anyone thinks that those things are going to last forever. And at which point, as we, you know, as supply chains come back online and whatnot, you're going to see those things normalize. And obviously that benefits the bottom line of these companies. And that's what I think investors should be looking for. 
It's one of the things that we've talked about a lot, uh, as uh, as you're alluding to. I mean, look at what's going on with uh, construction costs. I mean, the the one area that I always kind of hit on because it was the most extreme is uh, something like lumber prices. Oh. So you have you know everybody that was pent up in the cities moving to the suburbs, buying homes, uh, even having homes built, and all of a sudden there was not enough supply to the demand that was going on and the lumber mills had not opened up quite yet. So all of a sudden you had all these people trying to get little or less goods and you saw lumber prices go from about 450 down to about 250 in the midst of COVID up to 1700 yeah. and then back to where they were to, to start off with. They, they went all the way back down to 450 again and they're trading a little bit higher than that now. But I mean, <laughs> just that kind of extreme is impossible to predict. Oh, absolutely. And it's having impact, uh, you know, on different areas of the market. So, uh, you know, if you're Lowe's and you bought your your lumber at a specific price, you're going to hold out on selling that lumber at a higher price until you can get your next shipment that's lower. It's just yep. that simple. But so, I Matt, can you put a, put a bow on this? I mean, we probably should uh, to kind of wrap up uh, on what's going on. I mean, again, we had uh, kind of an extreme. Uh, we've got, you know, most of our clients that have been with us for any length of time kind of understand how, how we operate and understand, you know, take a deep breath and kind of go from there. But, you know, put a bow on this for us. You know, is this a concern point? Is it not a concern point? You know, is this something that, you know, are we going into a you know major pullback in the market? Are we not? You know, to your best assessment, you know, again, if this was your mom, how would you be telling her or your dad? How would you be telling him uh, how to invest and what's going on right now? Uh, well, first of all, I've been running mom and dad's money long enough. They they know to just keep quiet and let me do my thing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, from a big picture standpoint, I mean, look, at this point, and you and I have talked about this, there's nothing here that tells me we've compromised the integrity and the health of our economy or anything that's going to substantially at this point um, severely impact stock prices. So at this point, I'm looking at this as a healthy and necessary, and as much as people don't wanna hear that, I do believe it. This is a this has firmly been a necessary uh, correction here at this point, and I don't even know that you can use that word yet. Um, but the other point is, I mean, you've got, you've got 4 trillion, you know, sitting on the sidelines, record amounts of cash, you know, that, that have missed parts of this rally that are looking to get to work. And, and I would be more inclined, and, and that, by the way, I think puts a little bit of a floor in here, uh, insulates us a little bit more. But the other thing I would point out um, that I think is important, and honestly, you know, I'm kind of twisted like this. I, I love when things like this happen because it opens up fantastic opportunities to get great gains. I mean, look at those strategies that do stay fully invested and how they came off the bottom last year and, and the outperformance of being able to generate you can't do that without big dislocations that are overdone to the downside. So to me, when you get friction like this in the markets and volatility, man, it's it's ripe for opportunity. I'm, I'm actually excited about some of the things we're seeing in some of the areas of the market where I think there are some really big opportunities opening up here. And that doesn't mean that now's the time to pull the trigger on just yet. You know, we, we've been trying to be in a little bit more of a neutral camp and, and wait this thing out a little bit more. Uh, but some of those areas of the market that have corrected, uh, some of those cyclical value things that haven't done as well, let's say this quarter, uh, man, I, I think they're poised for really big gains here. So 
I would just say stay patient, let us do our job. Um, there's really, really some great opportunities here. And I firmly believe in that. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Fundamentally speaking, there's not enough evidence to, to uh, be chicken little and run for the hills here. Uh, there's just really not. And so uh, I agree with you. I mean, if we, if we can avoid some of the downside, which we've already done, uh, then you're not having to make up as much money when the markets do rally. And if you uh, have the uh, the stomach to do it, stepping in when the markets are down, is the most opportune thing. It's you know to me, I, I find it very interesting that most people are trying to outperform markets when they're going up. And yeah, by doing that, you inherently are taking more risk, right? And yeah. so, really, what what uh, uh, professionals like you and I uh, look at is it's about actually limiting your downside. It's about not taking more risk. It's about taking less risk. Uh, and then when opportunity does step back in, because you haven't taken it in the teeth with having the same sort of downside loss, we have a willingness and, and an appetite and an ability to step back into the markets uh, when they are lower and not be afraid about the stepping back in. So it's yeah. not about taking more risk. It's actually about understanding how to limit risk, uh, to mitigate it, to temper it, you know, whatever you want to sit there and say. And um, then you know, having the ability and the fortitude to be able to step back in uh, at the, the appropriate time. So to me, I just I think that the markets, I think that most investors have been looking for an excuse. They've gotten it. So let's uh, let's step uh, to the side. So with that, what I'd like to do is go ahead and wrap it up. Matt, thank you for being here uh, to our listeners. Thank you uh, for your time. Um, I'll uh, use one of Jeremy's lines, which is to be safe and be happy. Uh, and thanks. We'll be back next week. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.